And the word of God says we love him because what? He first loved us. Before you could present yourself worthy in any way, before you could do anything, say anything to make him love you, he was already loving you. So praise God. Let's give the Lord your hand clap of praise. Thank you to uh, our music ministry for leading us in worship uh, and song this morning. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out and a thank you to our decorating team, Sister Pat Lindsay, who has uh, been getting things together for the holiday, and it's all festive and beautiful. Thank, thank you, Sister Patsy, and the entire team, Sister Wanda, Sister V. Trice, Sister First Lady Red, all y'all who... Uh, Make this place just feel like home, right? I was just looking around and seeing everyone. It's like, this feels like home. It's good to be with you this morning. So welcome to each and every one of you to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. And we continue, we will uh, continue as we are in the middle of our disciple-making series. So uh, as we press and push to continue to bring to the forefront of our mind that disciples of Jesus makes disciples for Jesus. As we seek to continue to be and to grow in uh, being a disciple-making church. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please grab it and turn with me to Titus, the second chapter. Titus, the second chapter. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning. So if you are able to, uh, please stand with us in the honor of reading of God's word. Titus, the second chapter, verses 1 through 15. This is the word of God. His inerrant, infallible, sufficient, authoritative, good word of God. Let us feast together this morning. And it reads, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters. In everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Our subject for this morning and tag upon this text is simply doctrine on display. Doctrine on display. Won't you pray with me? Gracious and eternal, glorious and faithful, God of all. Father, we come right now before your mighty throne of grace, knowing that we are in desperate need of you every moment of every minute of every hour. And Lord, we come right now saying we need you. We need you, O oh Lord, to come by here. We need you to open up our eyes and to open up our ears and to prepare our hearts to receive your word. Father, help us to understand this text that you're laying out of what it means to not only know the Christian life, but to live the Christian life. Father, as you have called your people to be salt and light in a dark and dimly lit world, you are working through your people to make much of Jesus. Father, help us to be those conduits. And right now, oh Lord, I pray that you would remove any personal hindrances in our lives that would be cause for a stumbling block or hindrance to your word impacting and penetrating our hearts and flowing from us to those in our spheres of influence. Right now, oh Lord, please forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for the ways we have been disobedient to you, the ways we have been disobedient and wrong to one another, Lord. And I pray in this place right now that Jesus Christ would be lifted up, would be magnified because, Lord, we love you. Oh, how we love Jesus. That is the name we love to hear. We love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in our ears. The name of Jesus, which is above every name. So, Father, in this place, please be exalted. Please remind us that there is healing in the name of Jesus. Remind us that there is deliverance in the name of Jesus. That there is, there is uh, uh, peace in the name of Jesus. There is joy in the name of Jesus. There is perseverance in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is victory in the name of Jesus. Lord, for you are the I am God. And whatever we need, you are here to supply according to your riches in Christ Jesus. So, Father, even now, prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word that we would be equipped to be disciple makers. May you be glorified in this place. Help me, O oh Lord. Please take my weak words and all my infirmities and use them to make much of Christ. In Jesus' name we do pray and all the people of God said together, amen. Amen. You know, in my younger years, following college, a group of friends and I, we uh, committed ourselves to uh, 
working out to having a healthy diet. It was about four of us, and we would encourage one another to eat well, to, to live well, and, and a part of that would be, uh, it was really encouraging because we would get together, and we would all go to the gym together, and we would lift weights and work out together, and we had a regimen that we would go through every single week, and uh, for those who, who lift weights or, or work out, you know, you, if you go every day of the week, you try to alternate the type of exercises you do. And so like Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, we will work on our upper body, and Tuesdays and Thursdays, we will work on our lower body. And, and uh, over time, you know, we, we, we began to get like real, real strong. We was taking 225 and just doing reps with it, taking 315, three stacks and lifting that. And I, I think that was, the, in my life, that was the strongest season of my life as far as being able to lift weights and, and work out, and we were together, and it, it was just a really good time. But uh, as inevitable as it is, whenever we would go to the gym, you would always see a few folks in the gym who were super swole on top and had these little bitty legs on the bottom. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, they did a lot of work to, to, to get to that size and, and to, uh, in order for them to be healthy, that they would do a lot of work that, in order to get that big because they were swole. But it seemed like they had a priority to work on their upper body and not on their lower body. But if you want to be really healthy, you need to have a balance. So that's why we would split up the routine and do upper body and lower body in order that we would have a balanced body and, 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 and demonstrate the health benefits of working out every single day. We wanted balance. And I think about those days, and I liken it to the Christian experience even, even now. Because the Christian life can be the very same way. We can become the type of Christians who are, well, let me back up. We can become the type of Christians who have these great big heads. Filled full of knowledge. You know your books of the Bible. You know scripture. You know doctrine. You know theology. You know all these things that have these really big heads. But we have these tiny little bodies because we're not using them. In order to be a faithful Christian, especially in these days, we have to have a balance of head and heart, of upper body and lower body. And when it comes to the Christian faith, it's really comprised of two things. It's comprised of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy are the, the foundational principles of the faith, of the Christian faith. That, that we serve a God who is preeminent, who has always been. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, who has revealed, uh, one God who has revealed himself in three persons. We we know to be true that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and he died on a cross in order that our sins would be able to be forgiven. And when one uh, turns to Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, they, are, they will be saved and they will be filled with the Holy Spirit who empowers them to live out this faith. And that Jesus is coming back. Like some of those foundational principles of the faith, that's orthodoxy. But orthopraxy is how you live out this faith. We know the doctrines. Now, how should, how should those doctrines of the faith, how should my theology cause me to live with you? How, how does my faith 
temper my tongue when I speak to you? How does my faith pour cold water over my attitude and over my bitterness when I feel that you have wronged me? How does my faith cause me to look at those who are, who are lost and in need of Jesus and, 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 and to look at them and not pass them? This is what, is what it means to have both orthopraxy and uh, orthodoxy where both of them coming together. This is the balance. And before us this morning, I believe this is what the Apostle Paul is exhorting, encouraging Titus to teach this church in Crete that they need to do and that they, that they need to hold on to. Because when we look at the world even now, beloved, unfortunately, I believe the church is out of bounds. As the church, we can be more concerned with being right than being righteous. And with the church, we, we can become more concerned about our own personal piety, our own personal growth, while looking past those around us who, who need to grow too, and, and we have the opportunity to influence and to encourage that. This is what Paul is addressing here. He's encouraging Titus, teach your people to not only have sound doctrine, but to have a sound life. And Paul is explaining that in order for followers of Jesus to impact the culture for the kingdom, you not only need right belief, but you need right behavior. It's the need to practice what you believe. It's about Christians being a witness in the culture. That's our big idea for today. Uh, our big idea is simply that Jesus is most glorified in the culture when disciples actually live out what they have learned. Jesus is most glorified in the culture when disciples actually, li actually live out what they have already learned. You know, the impact of the gospel is not only that souls would be saved, but that the culture would witness Jesus, that they would be saved. This combination of what you have learned in the life you're living, this, this exhortation that, uh, uh, of the implications of profession without practice. What am I talking about? Paul spoke about this in Romans, the second chapter in the 24th verse, right, where he says, Romans 2.24, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's talking to those Christians and Gentiles being the unbelievers, and he's saying that don't, don't, don't let it be in the mouths of Gentiles that they blaspheme the name of God because the people of God don't look like God. They don't live like Jesus. They don't look like Jesus. And it's so easy. Uh, look, let me back up. And The reason why this has been such a burden on my heart is so many of the ills that we have in our culture and the things that need to be fixed has been because the church has not been the church. 
instead of being salt and light, we have gone with the flow. And not only that, we have taken up the meanness, we have taken up the hard-heartedness, and we have taken up the disobedient ways of the world instead of being the, the city set on the hill. And it's when the people of God return to that calling to be ambassadors for Christ, that, that, is, when, that is when the culture would change. We're not looking for governmental regulations. We're not looking for that one presidential candidate who's going to fix it all. We're not looking for just the right senators or just the right representatives or just the right governors or just the right mayors or just the right council men and women or just the right uh, uh, a body of, uh, of judges. We're not looking to them in order to influence the culture. Jesus has already said, you are my church and you will be my influence for the culture. That's the beauty of being the church. The Lord has given us the single most important role within this world is that to make much of him, that his glory would shine forth and people would be saved. We are called to relinquish all notions of cultural Christianity and to embrace biblical Christianity. I'm going to continue to say it over and over and over again. A superficial faith will not keep you in these chaotic times. If your faith is, 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 is based upon the foundation of catchphrases and buzzwords, I'm blessed and highly favored. Jesus will work it out. Oh, honey, just trust God. If, if that's all you get, when the world slap you in the face and knock you over, where, where would your foundation be, really? This is the time that we're in where we, we want to grow deeper together in our faith that we would be the witnesses that God has called us to be. In this text, the context is, is really key to understanding everything that is been, being said. I'm going to try to walk through the text and to explain the context and, and the words, but, but Paul, he's, he's writing to Titus to this church that was planted in Crete. Uh, Crete is, is, is an island on, uh, in the Mediterranean, and the people in this culture on this island had, had a reputation of just being off the hook. And as a matter of fact, as I studied the text more and more, it really reminds me of just where we are today. So even in, if you look here in chapter 1, the, the 12th verse, it, uh, Paul writes, like, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, your own people say this about you. Said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then he says, this testimony is true. <laughs> Therefore, so because that testimony is true, you got some work to do, Titus. So they, this church was planted in, in a culture that, that loved personal liberty above everything else. They, they wanted pleasure. They wanted to satisfy themselves. There was no service taking place. There, there was no thought of the other, but it was always just doing what you want to do. You only live once. 
I'm grown. This is my life. You can't tell me what to do. This, this is the type of culture. I, I can be and say whoever I want to be and say I am. And I can do and say whatever I, I want to do and say. Boy, you know, folks be having that liquid courage behind the keyboard. Like you see them face to face, they ain't saying nothing to you. And then you look at your Facebook post and they, they, sub, they sub-tweeting you and, and calling you out. You're like, they, 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 they wasn't all swollen up in my face. Because internally people want to do whatever they want to do. But this is the culture in which they're li- living in. There was a complete lack of restraint in this culture. But not only that, but Paul is also addressing the traditional Roman values of the day. They, it, in believing that the emperor was God and believing that they were this powerful, liberated people who could, who could uh, uh, make up their own rules and values, this, this is the day. Then, but this is the day now where many in the culture are just really living for their own selves. They're, they want power, they want glory, they want satisfaction, they want comfort. So, so they're doing any and everything in order to satisfy themselves. But what Paul is doing, he is saying, in the midst of this type of culture, I want the local church to be a different type of family. I, I want you to be different. And the way I want you to be different is, I, I want to take you back to, to these biblical foundations of the family and, and the restraint that comes with being a family together. So, so everything Paul is saying in this text is talking about what it looks like to be a family together that looks different than the world. That's the context. And, and I love it because it's interesting how Paul is giving instructions as to the family of faith. Because if, if you remember in Genesis, it was the family that was God's first divine institution. And out of the family, they were to what? They were, they were to, to multiply and to spread across the world, across the globe. And as they would spread, they would reflect the glory of Christ Jesus as they spread through the family. So it's like, it's as if Paul is, he's looking back at creation and how God has set up everything and saying, now church, you are the family through which you would multiply and go out into the world and, 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 and the glory of Christ would shine in this world. That's what he's doing. So hear that as we go through this text. The church is now the center of how God chooses to influence the world. And he does that by saying to Titus, verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. This, this authoritative apostolic doctrine, that which you have received from the apostles, that which is well known in the church. This is what I want. I don't, I don't want you to teach any newfound, new age theories. I don't want you to teach any of this uh, individual type of, of, of following uh, God or this individual type of doing church. I want you to follow what you have already been taught from the apostles, this sound doctrine. I want you to teach that. Why does he say that? He says, but as for you, because 
he's contrasting that to which the circumcision party was teaching. If you look back in verse 10, Paul is calling out the false teachers and he says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. These individuals was coming into the local church and teaching the philosophies of the world and not sound doctrine. So Paul says, in order to combat this culture, you need to teach sound doctrine. Teach the sound doctrine, and, and as you do, something should and would take place. I have three takeaways for us today, and we're done. So by teaching the sound doctrine, what's going to happen? First, by teaching sound doctrine, the disciples... The faith that the disciples learn, they would live out. So our main point is disciples learn the faith in order to live their faith. It's as if Paul is looking back over to 2 Timothy 2.15. Be careful to show yourself to prove a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 where he talks about all scripture is breathed out, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instructions in righteousness, that the man, man and woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He, he, he's, he, he's doing this teaching in order that the disciples may be ready to live out the faith that they have learned. And he starts off it, as if this church is a household. This is the household of God. He starts with older men, and he says older men are to be sober-minded, sober in their judgment, not influenced by uh, anything else, not to be consumed with alcohol that would disturb their influences, like, like be sober-minded, dignified. Oh, that's like a, a word we don't even have in the culture anymore, like dignified. Like, folks are shameless, not dignified. Someone just has a reputation that if you, if you needed something done well with wisdom, this is who you go to, dignified. Self-controlled, not out of control. That's in all things, self-controlled. What we see, what we say, where we go. Sound in faith, so this is specifically pointing to the understanding of the things of God. Sound, sound in their faith, not perfect in their faith, not knowing everything in their faith, but sound in their faith. They know something about God and what it means to follow Jesus. Sound in their faith, in love, so they don't do it out of a crassness. They, 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 they're looking to serve others in love and in steadfastness with this 
perseveres, this endurance. That, that means, that means older men live in such a way that you don't ruin your testimony in your la- latter days. How many ministries have we seen selling the name of Jesus Christ because someone started well, but they finished poorly? Everything that they've done before is like wiped out because they have finished poorly. They have fallen into some more, some uh, immorality, some type of sinfulness, some type of uh, attitude where that has not reflected Jesus. And the first thing that is put on the news, they love to put when a pastor fails. Because Satan knows how discouraging that is to the flock. He's saying, stick with it. He's saying, just because you're older now, you don't get to say whatever you want to say. There's a measure of restraint now because of your doctrine, because of what Jesus has been doing in your life. And he says, older women. Now, the text doesn't say what odor is. I don't know the range. Some scholars may say those who were 50 and older, those who were 65 and older. If 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 you want this to be you, this be you. Older women. It says, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, this respectful behavior, this type of behavior that, that, call, that, that shows the reverence for Jesus. A modest behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good. I believe that aligns with what Paul is saying to Titus, a sound doctrine. So if you're going to teach something, don't, don't, don't teach the traditions that you learn. Don't teach just what grandma said and mama them said, but teach what aligns with the word of God. Teach what is good. You know, I heard, or nope, teach, this is what the Lord would have to say. And so train the young women. Let me stop right there. We're going to go into that next. But what he's saying is just out, out, out of this household and how the Lord has orchestrated it, there's all these different roles and what the Lord uh, is saying that for, for, the, for the women in the midst, there is no sense of inferiority for who you are. Just like the older men have a role to play in everybody's faith for this entire church, you have a role to play for everybody's faith for this entire church. I mean, that's exactly what Galatians 3.28 points to where he says there is no Jew or Greek, no slave, nor free, no male, nor female, for you are all in one of Christ Jesus. So he says, we have this equality of value, but we have, we have difference in function. 1 Corinthians 12, the eyes and ears, we all, we all have different functions within this body. But what he's saying is, is have a motherly way and give the daughters of the church instruction. I mean, think about it. In this ancient Near Eastern culture, this Greco-Roman culture, and this would apply to to older women, younger women, the the primary vocation was being a homemaker, taking care of the home and taking care of the children. So even in the next verse where it it talks about working at home, Paul is not saying the woman has to work at home. 
But he's saying, teach them to work in a way that prioritizes their family, prioritizes their children, that prioritizes the household of God. And he goes on, to, that's when he goes on to say, so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Why would you think Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter to Titus to teach the older women to love their, uh, for the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands? I mean, it's a bunch of different reasons I'm thinking. One, an older, older woman would have went through all of the ups and downs that her husbands put their wives through. They have some experience in the good days and the bad days. They, they know what it means to have a hard-head husband at home. <laughs> but what he's saying, though, but because of God's grace on their life, they're able to still love and still be faithful and still be, be a sacrificial to their family as a representative of, what, of who Jesus is for us. That's what it's all about, Jesus. Teach them how to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be revived. Again, remember the context. They are in a culture where uh, uh, the overriding notion is that everybody can, there's no restraint. You just do whatever you want to do. So it would have been nothing for uh, Cretan men and Cretan women and Roman men and Roman women, even though they, that, even though they were married, they, they, they would have side pieces. They would go to orgies. They would be filled with these, these banquets full of drunkenness and debauchery. It, it, was not, it, it was nothing like for that in the culture. Everybody was at the club on Friday. Everybody was turned up on Saturday. And then they was come, trying to come to church on Sunday. And, and Paul's like, no, tell them their doctrine says they should not live like that. So then when Friday comes and they weren't there, when Saturday comes and they weren't at the party, that was off the hook. And they get the phone call, was like, where was you at? We, we, we was out all night Friday night. Where was you at? And, and, and they could say, you know what? Jesus has changed my life. There's something different now. He has shown me that his love for me is, is a treasure enough. And that, and that I don't have to rely upon that tempor temporary joy because he gives a joy that's everlasting. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to put on or what I'm going to wear. I don't, I don't have to worry about how people are going to look at me because I already know that, that God looks at me with such a love that he gave his only begotten son to die upon the cross. He loves me enough to give me everything. And his love ain't fickle. He won't love me on Friday and hate me on Saturday. His love is, is an everlasting. It's a strong love. It's not a love that say I love you, but I don't live like I love you. He's already, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He, this, this, is the, this is the context. Don't be like the world. Show them you're different. Likewise, urge, that word urge, that, that, that could be the weight of that is still like teach, train. Urge them, like this is what you need to do. Urge them to be self 
Let me get back there. Likewise, urge the younger man to be self-controlled. We know this is the call for every young man. If a young man can learn self-control from a young age, he's able to have self-control at an older age. This goes against the notion that if you just get older, you get better. Nah. Because y'all know, y'all workplace is just a grown-up high school. He's saying, teach them how to be self-controlled now. So that when they go out into the workplace, they will look different. They won't be reckless in their speech. They won't be reckless in their action. They won't be reckless in their pursuits. And then he says to, to Titus himself, he says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. He's saying, and you as a leader, as a teacher, you need to live in a way that shows off Jesus. This is the same as 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul says, be, follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Timothy 4 and 12, where Paul tells Timothy to be an example. So uh, let no one discourage your youth, but be an example in how to live the Christian life. Don't, don't let them look on, down on you because you're young, but they should look at you like, that young man is faithful. And you know what? His faithfulness inspires me. And then in verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything that may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So this is what's going on here. Remember, in the context of an ancient Near Eastern home, you have the, the father, you have the mother, you have the children, and then you would have whatever slaves, bond servants working within that household. So again, Paul is looking at this as the household of faith. And I know slavery was different in ancient Near Eastern times. And this was based on, in light of the Roman conquest, the, Ro the Romans would come and conquer a people. Some of those people would be taken as slaves, but within the culture, some people who were considered slaves were just part of the family as dentists, physicians, whatever. But yet, even when people make that argument, I always come back, I say, yeah, but slavery was still slavery. Because there's no personal agency. You don't get to make your own decisions. You still have a master over you. But, but what is Paul saying? He's not saying that slavery is good or you should be happy to be a slave. He's saying even the lowliness, the lowliest in this culture could have a redemptive work in somebody else's life. And he's saying by you, it, he says, be submissive. In everything, this is not be, this is different than be, do whatever they're, they're told to do, whether sinful or not. It's saying align yourself under the master of the house and all that they are. Because of Christ, tr try to be well-pleasing, not, not argumentative, but showing good faith so that they would see 
that this slave who has become a Christian, that something's different about them. And that they could win them over for Christ. And I could preach that with boldness because it's also Paul who says that if someone is enslaved, but they're able to find their freedom, to find your freedom. So in talking to the whole household of faith, what Paul is saying to Titus to teach them is that followers of Jesus have been called not to just be hearers of God's word, but to be doers of God's word. There comes a time where you actually have to live out what you've learned. I remember being younger, I had to be middle school, I was taking karate classes. I was taking karate classes for a year. I got all the way up to yellow belt. That's like the second belt. And, but I remember going to my, my first tournament. Now, they had been teaching, teaching me some stuff, and it was, it was fun, and uh, teaching me these moves. And uh, I remember being in my first tournament, it's like best of three. You, uh, whoever gets three points first wins. And I remember we fighting, and uh, he got a point, I got a point. He got a point, I got a point. And it's, it's, it comes down to the last, whoever gets the next point wins. And I remember that they had taught me this, it was this, this patented, this padded. Uh, uh, move that every time I did it would work in practice. Every time I, I would do it, it would work. It's just, just it's a simple front kick, but you would come out and, and do it in such a way that it, it just worked every time. And I remember in my mind, to this day, I remember this. I'm standing there like, okay, I know what to do. I know what to do. I know what to do. And the ref says, go, and I just froze. And I end up losing. One of my great failures. But the reason why I lost, because I didn't live out what I had learned to do. I had been taught how to win. Come on, somebody. I had been taught how to be victorious. I had been taught how to be a conqueror. I, I had been taught how to be the head and not the tail. I, I had been trained in all the right procedures and methods in order to be victorious, but yet I froze. And what Jesus is saying, I need my church to thaw out. And they need to walk out there with their heads held high in spite of the chaos and confusion and live the victorious life that my son paid for. He already died. He already redeemed. He already got up. And he's already at the right-hand side of the Father right now. What else do you need to be victorious? What else do we need? We have to live out what we have learned. You know fundamentally, if someone was to die today without the pardon of their sins, they would spend an eternity separated from God in heaven. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that can't nobody save themselves, but it's merely by God's grace, by faith. You know beyond a shadow of doubt how Jesus picked you up and turned you around and set your feet. On solid. You know it was nothing but Jesus that brought you through. You know, as you look back over your life, had not God showed out and brought you over, brought you under, brought you around, and brought you through, there would have been no way for you to be on this side. But then we're looking at all our, all our family and friends and saying, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? They so hard-headed. You was hard-headed too. But God. They so nasty. 
you was nasty too. But God, they so, they so trifling. You was trifling too. But God showed up and transformed you from the inside out by his grace. It's like we know these things, but we ain't living it. fly through these next points. Disciples not only learn the faith in order to live their faith, but disciples learn the faith in order to teach their faith. And notice the number of times in this text that word teach or, so, uh, or some form of it comes up, right? In verse 3, they are to, no, verse 1, but as for you, teach. Verse 3, they are to teach what is good. Verse 4, and so train young women. Verse 6, likewise urge the younger men. Verse 7, and in your teaching show integrity. And it's like over and over again, Paul is saying Titus teach them. Now, in all humility, why would one need to be taught something? Because they don't know. Because they're ignorant to what needs to happen. There's, there's some type of ignorance. There's some type of confusion. There's some type of lack of understanding. And, and, and there are times where we can simply truly say, well, he didn't know no better. And when it comes to discipleship, we walk in and out of churches. We walk in and out of one another's lives expecting people just to know how to be Christian without ever taking the time to teach them what it means to be Christian. There are actually times where people just don't know no better. All the times that even as I counsel, as I teach, as I train, I never take for granted people know more than what they know. But then on the other side of it, don't be ashamed for not knowing what you don't know. The teaching of sound doctrine includes the sound teaching of one another. See, the Christian faith, this is the difference between mentorship and discipleship, right? Mentorship is, okay, uh, follow me. I'm going to help you in the things of life. I'm going to give you some wisdom. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you things like, before you quit a job, you need to have a job. Like, like you know, I'm, I'm going to give you some good stuff. That's mentorship. But you know what discipleship is? You know what? I, 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 know, I see you struggling with this particular sin. But Jesus says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all iniquity. And Jesus, he, he paid for that sin that you may be liberated, that you don't have to live in, in, in chaos anymore. Because Jesus says, whom the son says free is free indeed. You don't have to go back to that sin. You don't have to go back to that relationship. You don't have to go back over there But because Jesus wants to set you free. And not only has he set you free, but he's giving you a new family who will walk with you and talk with you and love you too. That's discipleship. Discipleship points people to Jesus as the answer. Mentorship points to yourself as the answer. All discipleship is mentorship, but not all mentorship is discipleship. And beloved, let's just be honest. What's the best way to master any type of subject? After you learn it, teach it. Teach it. We're afraid to teach somebody else because what if I get it wrong? Okay, then tell them you got it wrong. And then come back, get it right, and teach it right the next time. 
Thirdly, disciples learn the faith in order to exalt Jesus by their faith. I love this point because notice why Paul is encouraging Titus to teach sound doctrine. In verse 5, teach, 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 live, 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 that the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 8, teach, 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 live, 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 so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Teach, 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 live, 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 verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The reason why we learn our faith in order to live our faith is to make much of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. At the end of the day, Sunday morning worship, Sunday morning groups, Bible studies, like all of those avenues which we're intaking the word of God. It's not just so I can, it's not just so I can be a better Christian. It's so I can reflect Jesus Christ. So ultimately, when we think about it, a failure to teach sound doctrine and sound living leads to a greater resistance to Jesus in the culture. Jesus has established the church as the, uh, the kingdom outpost of heaven. And our job is to be ambassadors of Christ. And we teach one another it, that the culture may be influenced. We, that, that's why we teach one another. Doctrine that is lived out reveals a healthy faith. Take a moment, just look around. Just look around. Who are you teaching? Who are you teaching? But you know what? I, I'm so glad that the power to teach doesn't come from ourselves. Because after Paul encourages Titus, to teach sound doctrine, to live a sound faith, he reminds us the basis by which it's made possible. <laughs> In verse 11, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. Jesus has come. You can do this because Jesus has come. And what does Jesus, and what does Jesus do to us by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us? He trains us to renounce ungodliness. And worldliness, and it doesn't say, and he trains us in systematic theology. It doesn't say he trains us in the doctrines of God. It doesn't say he trains us in, 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 in knowing every scripture uh, of the Bible. No, he says he trains us through what he teaches us and empowers the Holy Spirit to do us to change us. We take in information for transformation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And I love this part, in the present age. In the present age back then and in the present age today. We can do this because our hope 
is, is, is based upon the fact that Jesus has already come. Jesus has already come and, and brought grace and brought mercy and brought faith, and he's already sent the power of the Holy Spirit to live within his people in order to strengthen them that we would be witnesses in this world. We have the hope in order to do this because Jesus has already come. But then he reminds us, and we still have the hope to do this because Jesus is coming back. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. He, he, he paid the price. He redeemed you to rescue you out of your foolishness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He says, Titus, verse 15, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Beloved, our hope is in the fact that Jesus has already come and the fact that Jesus is coming back. So because Jesus has already come, those who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, who turn from living for themselves and turn, for, uh, turn toward him, that because Jesus has already come, they can receive the forgiveness of their sin and embrace a relationship with God. They can experience that rescue right now. They don't have to wait for glory. They can experience that freedom and liberation right now. But also because Jesus is coming back, we understand that those who don't turn, those who don't cement, surrender, those who don't bother me will be cast into an eternal, eternity separated from God in heaven, in hell. Beloved, in order to really embrace sound doctrine, you need to know the Savior. In order to really live out this sound doctrine, you need to know the Savior. So out of all that Paul has said to us today, the greatest question is really, have I learned from Jesus himself? Jesus is most glorified in the culture when disciples actually live out what they have learned. This is how doctrine is put on display. Father, thank you for your word and for your kindness. You are so extraordinary. We don't deserve you, but even in spite of, you have called us to be yours. With all of our infirmities and the, all of our blemishes, you said that you would wash us white as snow through the blood of Christ. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes us acceptable to you, that allows us to abide and to commune with you. And Father, today I pray that one would learn from Jesus. They would turn to you. Father, I pray that one would take what they have learned and begin to live it out. And I pray that another would take what they have learned, live it out, and teach another. Father, this is your desire for the household, the family of faith. That we would be fruitful and multiply. That your glory would shine forth on this earth. We love you and thank you.
In Jesus' name we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen.